Good morning, everyone. Thank you for having us. We always look forward to coming and being with you, and we've enjoyed the service so far. I hope to not ruin that. Our text is in John chapter 13 this morning. We're going to make a brief visit to 1 Corinthians 13 before we get to it. The concept of love is misunderstood and misrepresented in our current culture. We use the expression falling in love as if it is easy and even involuntary. Falling in love only describes the emotional response a romantic feeling like infatuation. Margaret Anderson wrote, In real love, you want the other person's good. In romantic love, you want the other person. So if we can fall in love, we can also fall out of love. When the feeling is gone, so is the love. Love is what happens when the infatuation wears off. I would like to make a special note here, though, that infatuation doesn't have to wear off in romantic love. I'm infatuated with Linda, and she's infatuated with me, and that's the way God intended it to be. I wrote her a poem. I think I might have shared this with you a while back. I married a girl from Kansas. What, pray tell, were the chances? For 52 years and very few tears, my life she still enhances. So, (laughs) (laughs) The infatuation doesn't have to wear off, but our text, we're really not talking about that kind of love today. Jesus is commanding a higher, truer sense of love. And the Apostle Paul was inspired to record God's definition of love, and it's there in 1 Corinthians 13, which has been called the love chapter. And he defines what love is in verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So love is not self-seeking. It seeks the benefit of the person loved. And love blesses and encourages other people. Love forgives offenses. And verse 6 points out that love is always in agreement with and in obedience to the Word of God. A lot of things in our culture today are called love but they don't agree with Scripture, they don't agree with God's view of things, and so by God's definition, they are not love. Another thing that's interesting to notice is that love does not cancel people with whom we disagree. Thomas Jefferson wrote, I never considered a difference of opinion in politics, in religion, in philosophy, as a cause for withdrawing from a friend. Jim Hills wrote, a mature, biblically-based love has less to do with how we feel than than with what we value. So Jesus commands us to love in verse 4 and 35 of John chapter 13. I'll read the text now. A new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. At the risk of sounding like I'm contradicting Jesus, my first point is that in one sense, this command is not new. Jesus said it's a new command, but in one sense, it's not, not new. And I have two reasons for saying that. The first is that it's not new because the command of love existed in the Old Testament. It's always existed with God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, the uh, Pharisees and the religious people of his day were always trying to trip him up. And it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And I understand that the theologians of the day used to debate this and argue about which is the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first command and greatest commandment. Then he gives them a bonus answer. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the part about loving God is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 5, where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So that command existed in the Old Testament. Jesus was a student of the Old Testament. He knew where to go to find information. And he took the second part of his quotation from Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus answered the question about the importance of love and pointed out that love has always existed with God. It's amazing and interesting that Jesus boils down all of the law and all of the prophets down to one word, and that word is love. And that word is in two directions, toward God and toward other people. And if you have it in that order, that God is first, your ability to love other people will be much better. Secondly, the command to love is not new because God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Some people think that the God of the Old Testament is severe and harsh. And they think that the God of the New Testament is an indulgent pushover. Neither of these impressions is accurate. A co-worker once told me, I like the, the New Testament God, but I don't like the Old Testament God. I told her the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are one and the same. One of God's attributes is that he is immutable. That is, he does not change. God can never be any less than he is. If he were, he would cease to be God. And God can never be any more than he is because you can't prove on perfection. And our God is perfect. So God is love, 1 John 4, 8, and he has always been love. That has never changed. 
Sometimes when God issues a severe command, it might sound like it's not loving, but he's issuing that command because he knows that is what's best for us, and that's what's best for other people, and that's what glorifies God the most. But Jesus said the command to love is a new command. And so our second idea is that, in another sense, the command to love is new. It's new, for one thing, because Jesus has shown us how to love. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus was God in a bod. Kind of clever. I didn't think of it, but it's really true. He was God in a human body. So he not only told us to love, but as a human being, he showed us how to love. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus loved us all the way to the cross. He knew that's what we needed, and love is concerned about the benefit of the person. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We just came back from a short trip to Ramona, California, where Scott and Bobby are from, where our son lives. And we were driving. We actually went to uh, David Jeremiah's church. And one of the doors was ajar. I don't think it was meant to be open, but I walked in and walked into the sanctuary. We usually record his message every Sunday and watch it on Sunday night. And it was a blessing to actually be there and see the pulpit he stands behind. But as we were driving past there, we saw another church advertisement, and it said, no perfect people allowed. Christ died for sinners, which we all are. But some people don't realize how seriously God takes sin. And so until you understand how bad our sin is in the eyes of God, you're not really qualified to understand your need for a Savior. It's not hard to get people saved once they can see themselves as God sees them. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us and shows us the sinfulness of our sin. Then we're qualified to receive Christ. We're, not, we're qualified because we understand our need. Our love is to be modeled after the sacrificial love that Jesus Christ showed us. Dave Brannon gives us an example he wrote, as I was grading another stack of papers for a college, write, college writing class I teach, I was impressed with one particular paper. It was so well written. Soon, though, I realized it was too well written. Sure enough, a little research revealed that the paper had been plagiarized from an online source. I sent the student an email to let her know that her ruse had been discovered. She was getting a zero on this paper, but she could write a new paper for partial credit. Her response, I am humiliated and very sorry. 
I appreciate the grace you are showing me. I don't deserve it. I responded by telling her that we all receive Jesus' grace every day. So how could I deny showing her grace? End quote. We show other people grace because God has shown us grace. They might deserve, not deserve it, but neither did we. Our church offered a $1,000 scholarship to young people graduating from high school and going to a Christian college. I don't remember if it was any college or just Christian colleges, but the church offered a $1,000 scholarship. And our daughter, Deborah, missed the deadline for applying, which upset me. And I called the man who was in charge Dan and Laura, you know him, Jay Hendrick. I called him up and I said, uh, our daughter missed the deadline, but I was still hoping we could get the $1,000 scholarship. He said, no, the deadline's the way it is. They need to learn responsibility. And uh, I, can't, I can't make any exceptions. And I said, can you offer grace? And I had him. I mean, I had him right there. Jay Hendrick could never say no to that. Because he's received the grace of God and he knows what it's like. And so he could offer someone else grace. And Deborah got her $1,000 scholarship. A second reason Jesus' command to love is new. First, because he demonstrated it to us. Secondly, because it's produced through the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in the age of the church. The church age, every believer has the Holy Spirit indwelling in their lives. Now, some people are hard to love. Some people seem impossible to love. Are you thinking about somebody right now? <laughs> bad, bad, bad. With God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit living in us, the impossible becomes possible. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that He produces in our lives is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, according to Galatians 5.22. Some commentators believe that everything on this list is defining the first word on the list, namely love. So where there's love, there's peace, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But all of those are an outworking of love in our lives. Ken and Randy Peterson, in their book, 40 Days, 40 Words, made this observation. This is the new command summarizing and fulfilling the old commands. Our life choices are now compelled by our love for God rather than the fear of displeasing him. Because perfect love drives out fear. So in one sense, the command to love is not new. In another sense, the command to love is new. And finally, in a real sense, this command is possible. Notice that it is not a suggestion. It is a command. Jesus called it a command. And he said, we must love one another. You can't really force people to feel a certain way. But love is more than an emotion. It's a decision. 
And you can command people to make a decision. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Loving one another is the identifying mark of a Christ follower, which Jesus said in verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I have wondered in the past why Jesus did not say, if your doctrine is correct, they will know that you are my disciples. That seems like a more certain identifying mark to me. But then it occurred to me that an unsaved person doesn't understand the difference between what is true and what is false. And that is spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul wrote, The person without the Spirit, an unsaved person, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Unsaved people might not understand true doctrine, but they know true love when they see it. And that's why Jesus said, this is the mark, true love, that people will know you're my disciples. Not every religion practices love the way Jesus taught it. This verse, verse 35 in the message reads like this. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. The New Living Translation translates verse 35 this way. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Sheridan Voicy witnessed this firsthand. He wrote, I once visited an impoverished neighborhood in Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Homes were made of corrugated iron with electrical wires dangling live above them. There I had the privilege of interviewing families and hearing how churches were helping to combat unemployment, drug use, and crime. In one alleyway, I climbed a rickety ladder to a small room to interview a mother and her son. But just a moment later, someone rushed up saying, we must leave now. A machete-wielding gang leader was apparently gathering a mob to ambush us. We visited a second neighborhood, but there we had no problem. Later, I discovered why. As I visited each home, a gang leader stood outside guarding us. It turned out his daughter was being fed and educated by the church. And because believers were standing by her, he stood by us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus presents a standard of love that's beyond comparison. This kind of love embraces not just the worthy, but the undeserving, reaching beyond family and friends to those who can't or won't love us back. This is God-sized love, the kind that blesses everyone. As believers in Santo Domingo live out this love, neighborhoods are starting to change. Tough hearts are warming to their cause. This is what happens when God-sized love comes to town, end quote. So loving one another is possible, but it requires us to get help from God. 
Some people are really easy to love. I don't have to pray every day, Lord, help me to love my wife. <laughs> because it's easy to love her. I don't have to pray, Lord, help me to love you. How can you not love God? If you know God, you're going to love him. To know him is to love him, as the song used to say. But in the Bible, God issues commands that are impossible for us in our fallen nature to obey. But with God's help, God's commands become God's enablement. When he commands us to do something, if we're willing to do that, he will give us the ability to do it. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And God is working in our lives, and he is working in the lives of those we are trying to help. Isn't that encouraging when you're witnessing that if God is not only working through my life to talk to this person, but God is working in that person's life to receive what I'm saying to them or to receive the way I'm helping them. Tim Gustafson provides us with an example. He wrote, Nora was tiny, but Bridget, and Bridget is in parentheses, probably not her real name to protect her identity. Nora was tiny, but Bridget, the belligerent six-foot-tall woman, glowering down at her, didn't intimidate her. Bridget couldn't even say why she had stopped at the crisis pregnancy center. She'd already made up her mind to, quote, get rid of this kid, end quote. So Nora gently asked her questions, and Bridget rudely deflected them with profanity-laced tirades. Soon Bridget got up to leave, defiantly declaring her intent to end her pregnancy. Slipping her small frame between Bridget and the door, Nora asked, Before you go, may I give you a hug? And may I pray with you, for you? No one had ever hugged her before, not with healthy intentions anyway. Suddenly, unexpectedly, the tears came. Nora beautifully reflects the heart of our God who loved his people Israel with an everlasting love. The people had stumbled into the hard consequences of their persistent violation of his guidelines. Yet God told them, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. Bridget's history is complex. Many of us can relate. Until she ran into real love that day, her belief had been that God and his followers would only condemn her. But Nora showed her something different, that God won't ignore our sin because he loves us beyond imagination. He welcomes us with open arms. We don't have to keep running. So God said that this command to love was new. Jesus said that. It's new because we now have an example to follow. And it's new because it is possible because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower us. When we can't muster up the ability to love someone in our own strength, God is there to give us the grace to do that. And I close with this idea. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what else we have or what else we do. Without love, 
the Apostle Paul was inspired to write, it will amount to nothing. And I close with 1 Corinthians 13. Before I read it, I had a sermon I really wanted to preach when I came here this time. It was Joseph, the father of Mary's son. It was really a good sermon. I'm just pining away to preach it. But it's kind of a Father's Day sermon. And I said, Lord, for a couple weeks I prayed, if this is not the one you want, if this isn't the sermon you want, I'm willing to change my mind. I'm, I'm pretty affectionately toward this sermon. I really want to give it, but I'm willing to change. And I was reading books, and I came across the idea for this sermon. And so I wrote it, and I felt led of the Lord to change my mind and bring this sermon. So I'm wondering which one of you really needed to hear this today. So maybe this is for you. I hope so. But I'll conclude by reading the Apostle Paul's first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. Sometimes loving other people is challenging. Sometimes we are drawn to want to demand our rights or tell someone off or get on the internet and blast somebody out of the saddle to show them what's right. Lord, help us to think twice. Help us to hesitate. Help us to remember who we represent, how you have given grace to us, and because of that, we can show grace to other people. Help us to be accurately reflecting who you are by the way we love people and that they might know that we're your disciples because we have loved one another. We ask it in Jesus' name for his sake and glory. Amen.